Second Corinthians and chapter 1. The word of God reads, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I intended to come to you before, that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are men, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy, for by faith. Thank you for the invitation to come and to share with you God's word this morning. And I want to turn with you to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1 and verse 3. And we read there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. There are many names for God in the scriptures. And uh, if we were having a Sunday school class, we might ask that question. Can you think of any of the names of God? We perhaps uh, would have the the description as the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd come to our mind because we sang that hymn and we could think of him in those terms as the shepherd of the sheep. And of course we could go to John 10 and really explore that. But uh, there are many uh, names by which God is known in the scriptures and they're all very instructive to us. But there's one in particular that I want us to think about this morning. And it's found there at the end of verse 3. The God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. I found that a great encouragement this year. Uh, There are many things going on in in my life. And uh, many challenges. And uh, just to come and to think on these words. The God of all comfort. And I want us to unpack them this morning and to try to understand why these were so precious to the Apostle Paul. Why he describes God in these terms here, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. We know something of the church at Corinth. We know that on Paul's second missionary journey he came to Corinth with the gospel. He stayed there about 18 months and he founded the church at Corinth. A wonderful work of God's grace in that wicked and vile city. Uh, He moved on from Corinth as was his habit. He went from place to place and he concluded his missionary journey by returning to Antioch. And we're told about that in Acts chapter 18. And then he commenced a third missionary journey. He travelled first to 
Asia Minor. He stayed in Ephesus for three years of ministry. That must have been wonderful. Just sitting under his ministry as he opened up the Old Testament scriptures and as he then taught these wonderful truths that we have penned for us in the New Testament. And he proclaimed the gospel to all in Asia. But while he was still in Ephesus, he received a report from Corinth that there was disunity, that there were schisms in the church, and that there was even immorality. And we're not going to open up 1 Corinthians uh, this morning, but uh, if you know that letter that he wrote to them, you, you know some of the things that were going on. How unhealthy the church was, how they had moved away from the gospel. Uh, he received a number of questions which he answers in 1 Corinthians 7. And he writes his first epistle to them about these matters. And it's, in a sense, a difficult letter, the first letter, to read as Christians, isn't it? It's difficult, perhaps, because we see ourselves in some of the things that are going on. But it grieves us also that a body of Christ, those who have been redeemed by God's grace out of the world, are living in such a way as to be disputing as who's the greatest, which party we, we belong to, uh, who are being influenced by the culture in which they lived and living ungodly lives. And Paul had to deal firmly with them. And he writes the first letter. He's fearful in writing it, and I guess you and I would be as well, perhaps you've had to do it. You've had to go to an individual and bring to their notice that what they're doing is not a Christian behaviour. And you go with fear and trembling. You want to win them. You want them to come back to where they should be. But you never know. You may get your head knocked off. Uh, you may end up with a all sorts of trouble in the church as that uh, brother then goes and tells the church how unfair you were. Uh, and you, you tremble to do this. And Paul has that uh, about himself, an apostle, but he, he still knows uh, uh, something of that fear that they might reject him and, and uh, uh, resist his rebuke. And so he sends Titus to check on their, their welfare. And... Paul heads him off first to, to see what's going on. Have they heeded the first letter? Have they uh, uh, reformed? Have they come back to Christ and the gospel and understand the freedoms of the gospel, but also the constraints of the gospel? And so he sends Titus off. And uh, Paul is still continuing his journey. He's going to arrive later. And he tells of the repentance, Titus, when he comes finally and catches up with them, with Paul. He tells of the repentance of the Corinthians and of their love for him. How that must have thrilled Paul. They've heeded the warnings. They've, they've 
repented of their sin. They've reunited as a church instead of all these different groups. They're now back as a body of Christ. And so he writes from Macedonia this second uh, uh, epistle that we have here, probably the third epistle. We won't go into that, but uh, it appears there's a th- the second epistle was lost. This would be the third, but it's the second to us. There's enough confusion without going into that. Uh, and he writes this from Macedonia, and he expresses his great joy uh, because of this news. And he encourages them. And probably this letter is the most encouraging of Paul's letters. If you want to be lifted up, read uh, 2 Corinthians. And he's very open in this letter. In a way which he isn't in the other epistles. He really opens up about his inward feelings. He really lays bare his motivations. Uh, Sidlow Baxter commenting on this letter, he he says this, he says, while others of Paul's epistles may be more profound, scarcely any could be more precious than this second heart outpouring to the Corinthians. It was written with a quill dipped in tears from the apostles' anguish of heart and contains more of human pathos than any other of his letters. Yet there is a lovely rainbow shining through it all, For in his dire distress and deep disappointments, he is discovering more than ever before that the Father of mercies is the God of all comfort and that the heavenly master's strength is made perfect in his servant's weakness. And I want us just to think about this phrase as much as we can in the time we have in the context of Paul's dealings with the Corinthian church, and in fact Paul's ministry as a whole. This could really be a a convention series, but uh, it won't be, and I I will be busy. I notice there's no clock visible to me. That's dangerous. Um, I will try to keep an eye on, on the clock and not go over. And the first thing I want to note is that Paul was no stranger to suffering. Paul isn't here speaking of the God of all comfort as some theological construct of which he had no understanding, no experience. Paul was no stranger to suffering. In this letter, in chapter eight, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 13, uh, he writes, Titus was to have met me, a Troas. And he speaks of the anxious, anxiousness that he suffered, the, uh, just awaiting the report from Corinth. You can imagine every day, will Titus come today? Will it be good news? I've been praying and praying. But he didn't turn up, he says in chapter 2, verse 13. And of course, We find that hard. The youngsters here will find it hard to understand why uh, they didn't just phone each other. Why they didn't just get the mobile phone and how's it going in Corinth? How's it going down there in Macedonia? Can you imagine being isolated? You're praying fervently. You're longing. But there's no news. How is it going? In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 5 
Paul says, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. You ever had somebody come to you and say, well, you're a Christian, you shouldn't worry. You, you shouldn't uh, have conflicts and, and fears. The Apostle Paul did. And in fact, the more we seek to live godly lives and live for Christ, the more we will find this warfare, this battle, this longing that Christ would be exalted, that God's people would be blessed. And when they, uh, things are going wrong, uh, we, will, we will feel these things. We ought to feel these things. We prayed, didn't we, for the church in various parts of the world. We're here, we're in a nice building, we're comfortable, it's warm. Uh, we, as far as I know, we weren't hindered coming. But so many places to gather as a Christian, to publicly identify as a Christian. It's hard. We long for the church to prosper. We long for God's people to be blessed. We long for the church to grow. And surely our prayers are not, Lord, bless the church. But there's a depth in them. There's a longing that the church would prosper. Corinth appeared to be in full revolt against Paul. It wasn't the only church, of course, that Paul had problems with. The Galatian church had turned to another gospel. It had gone back to that Judaism. Well, you, you Gentiles, you can't be Christians unless you're circumcised as well. And unless you do this and don't do that. The whole liberty of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, that Christ is sufficient, was being undermined in the Galatian church. When Paul was in Ephesus, uh, there was trouble in the city there. He narrowly escaped and left the church. And Can you imagine that he just left them and thought, oh, I'm all right now, I'm glad I've got out of that. How he must have agonized. How he must have longed in prayer that God would work for the people there, the Christians there in Ephesus. It's a great uh, discussion in our nation about mental health, isn't there? And the, the problem with mental health issues in our, in our land but Christians are not exempt from these things. They're to be awake at night, longing for the good of the gospel. To be awake at night, praying for family. Praying for the nation. Praying for church situations. I don't know what's, if anything's happening here, so I'm not putting fingers on anything. But these things cause us to agonise. Paul was under a massive strain of excitement and anxiety. He suffered illness, which threatened his life. You can imagine why. 
physically, emotionally, mentally drained. He says something of it here in this first chapter of 2 Corinthians. The end of verse 8. He says, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. If you go into chapter 4 of this letter, he speaks of always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Our outward man is perishing, he says. All speaking of his mental distress. All speaking of his physical weakness. You're not a Christian here this morning. You might be thinking, this isn't a very good advert for Christianity. But you stay with this. You stay and hear what Paul says. Here was Paul and... To all appearance, his life and work were coming to an end. Humanly speaking, the whole gospel venture was in the balance. But he could speak of the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. When Paul speaks about suffering... He speaks from experience. And perhaps there's someone here this morning and in your circumstances you're suffering because you're a Christian. Perhaps in the workplace. Simply because you're a Christian. You're suffering. Or in the family. You're the only Christian. And things look so hard. So difficult and the devil compounds it by coming and whispering in your ear if you were a Christian then things wouldn't be so bad where's your God why is this happening you, you, you've, you've done what God told you but now you're in this mess Or oh, it can be hard living as a Christian in our society today. In the schools, in the workplace. Just around about. Well, Paul knew about suffering. But then secondly, we see here why Paul can praise God for suffering. Why Paul can praise God for suffering. We can say a number of things on this. We can note that to suffer is both human and divine. Suffering is human because it comes with our humanity. We're fallen creatures. We live in a fallen world. There is and there will be sin and suffering until Christ returns. That's the nature of the human existence but we can say this also as a Christian that suffering is divine that ultimately it comes to us from the hand of God and that's something perhaps we don't think on too often but we see it in scripture 
We have the example, of course, of Joseph, who suffered at the hands of his jealous brothers, who was sold into slavery, slandered, imprisoned, overlooked, and all the rest of the story. And uh, yes, they have made a musical about it. I'm not commending it. Uh, but even the world knows something of Joseph's story. And surely we do. And then, of course, we come to the end of the story. In Genesis 50, verse 20. And Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God was in this. Uh, it must have uh, seemed a far distant truth to Joseph when he was in prison. When he was being sold into slavery and all the other things that went on. What, why, Lord? Why? Why are my brothers doing this? Why is, am I being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife? Why, why have the, the baker and, and so on, why have they just forgotten me now I've helped them and I'm left languishing here in prison? Ah, says Joseph later, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. We come to the New Testament. Peter particularly picks this up. In 1 Peter 4 verse 19. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God. That's quite something isn't it? Those who suffer according to the will of God. Commit their souls to him in doing good. As to a faithful creator. Or 1 Peter 4 verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Well, we could open that up and we could spend time on that, but we don't have time uh, this morning. But you note, as we come back to our text, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that the suffering and affliction which is being spoken of there comes because we belong to Christ. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. We suffer because we're Christians. Now, not so much in this country, but uh, if I were to take you to visit Pakistan with me and uh, introduce you to some of the, the folk there, uh, the, the suffering that they endure uh, you can't do certain jobs. They're reserved just for Christians. They want the sewers cleaning out. It's a Christian's job. So uh, the Christian is relegated to the lowest in society and abused. The violence, the threats. Uh, you try and speak of Christ. Uh, 
dear brother I stay with over there told me that uh, as a young man he, he and the other young men would go out into the villages and preach the gospel and they'd be beaten with big sticks and they'd be driven out of the, the village and they'd, they'd go about half a mile away and dress each other's wounds and pray and then they'd go back into the village suffering for Christ righteous suffering we're to so live that our conduct, Peter says in chapter 2, verse 12, is honourable among the Gentiles. That then, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Suffering and affliction which comes because we belong to Christ. I don't think we've got time just to open that point up. Think how he suffered for us. Think how he endured uh, reproach for us. We are called to so live for him in this God-hating world that we also will suffer something else we can say about this suffering it presents an opportunity for us to express and grow our faith in God uh, verses 9 and 10 of this chapter Paul says yes we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us I wonder what Paul was thinking of as he wrote those words was he thinking of his experience in Lystra in Acts 14 where he was stoned and left for dead they must have thought he was dead they would have carried on if they thought there was any life in him well whatever he's describing in our text it's similar in its certainty to death and yet, Paul is able to say that God delivered us from so great a death. He delivered me, says Paul, from hopeless situations. He was the God of all comfort to me in them. He was the one who came alongside and spoke to me. Paul had learned to trust God and he discovered in him this, this wonderful ministry that God is the God of all comfort. In whatever circumstances he found himself. Can you imagine in the, being in the uh, Philippian jail and uh, with all the stink and the disgrace and all the anguish of being there and yet being able to sing how could he do that because God is the God of all comfort what a blessing that is in the Christian life when we're brought to the point where we we can't trust in ourselves it's beyond us but we trust in God who raises the dead in whom 
we trust, says Paul. But we could think also of suffering as a believer as being a means by which God draws us into closer communion with him. And I think in our text we, we see that particularly in verse 3. Suffering as believers enables us to know God as we would not otherwise know him. Now the flesh says, yes, well that's wonderful, but I'd rather we could discover that without suffering. None of us like suffering. It's bad enough going to the dentist, isn't it? But uh, some things through which people pass, far worse. But Paul is saying that if we were not suffering, we would not know God's mercy and compassion and comfort in the way that we should. Suffering is divinely appointed by God that we may know him intimately. We often read verses like this, this text and we, we skip over so much of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Let's get on to some weighty doctrine. Let's find some comfort later on in the letter. But Paul speaks twice in this text of God as, as, as Father. He discovered the the fullness of God as his heavenly father. He'd, he speaks of him as the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of him as the father of mercies. And this isn't just a theological lesson. This was a practical experience that Paul had uh, passed through. As the loving father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He sent him to the cross to die for us, to suffer for our sins in ways in which we cannot imagine. What a father. What comfort there is in that. He's the father who comforts us in all our tribulation. this comfort comes at it's not a little sticking plaster is it it's not just something which uh, uh, was incidental but to know this in our trials to know this in all the, the struggles and the suffering through which we pass that God is the God of all comfort he's so precious all perhaps may forsake us. Even the most loving, godly people don't understand what we're going through. But God is the God of all comfort. He is the Father of mercies in the plural. Not the Father of mercy. He is the source of all kinds of mercies. James tells us, doesn't he, in chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father.
What a God we have. Have you been influenced perhaps in recent weeks and months by the world? And God has become a distant thing to you. A distant person. Perhaps a little austere. You know the devil loves to caricature God. He loves to paint pictures in our minds and before we know it, that's our image of God. God wouldn't allow you to suffer this. Where is he? You can come back and you can say he's the God of all comfort. He's my God. And you can experience that in your trials. Moving on quickly. Suffering is God's means of equipping us to minister to others. It's not only God himself who comes and comforts us, but he uses his people. Have you ever thought of that ministry? Of coming alongside someone who is suffering, perhaps someone who's bereaved. And there will be somebody in the congregation who will know exactly what that dear brother or sister is going through. And uh, you won't just come along and say, I'm sorry to hear of your loss. Even though you may be sincere. You'll be able to come along and God will use you and you'll put your arms around that person. And you'll be able to comfort them with God's comfort. How precious that ministry is. It doesn't mean that we always have to know what the person is going through. You you think of perhaps people that you've read of. Have you ever read of Jody, sorry, Joni Erickson Tada, who suffered a a diving accident and was paralysed? I've never been through that. I couldn't go to her and put my arm around her and say, this is how you'll cope. This is how I coped with it. Because I've not been there. Perhaps you haven't. But her testimony brings comfort to many who've never needed a wheelchair. You think of the story of Corrie ten Boom. Amazing story. The suffering. But the comfort. I've never been in a concentration camp, a labour camp. I've never suffered what she went through. But how comforting it is to read her account. Suffering draws believers closer together. We shouldn't suffer alone. We're part of the body of Christ. We might not understand, we might not know uh, the depths of despair and the trials and the that our brother or sister is going through. But we share the sufferings of Christ and we experience the comfort and mercies of our Heavenly Father. And often in times of suffering, fellowship is strengthened. A fellowship is strengthened, perhaps, when a church faces suffering. In verse 11, Paul highlights the ministry of prayer. 
you also helping together in prayer for us. What a ministry prayer is. To pray, not only for a brother or sister, but with a brother or sister. To weep with them. To agonise with them. And to encourage them in prayer. Well, some quick application. I haven't looked at my watch. We'll be quick. Paul's words in this text are precious when we're in trials and difficulties. But they're also challenging to so much of what the church teaches today. There are churches, and not far from here, that teach this health, wealth and prosperity teaching. You're a Christian, you should be healthy. You should be wealthy, you'll have a big bank balance. You'll be prosperous. Now, there are rich Christians, and there are healthy Christians, and there are prosperous Christians. But that isn't what we find in Scripture. Again, if I took you to Pakistan, you won't find rich Christians. Sadly, some of them are being drawn away by American teaching, particularly. And you have to sit down with them and say, let's look what God's Word says. You see a picture of a, a gentleman dressed very sharply and uh, telling them that uh, if they send some money to him, he'll pray for them and they'll have more money. It's wicked, it's, it's vile. But uh, most Christians in the world are not as rich as we are in the things of this world. We need to come to verses like this and not only get the comfort of them and be strengthened by them but also hold on to them that we may resist false teaching in our day. It's interesting to note that in one of our favourite verses in Romans 8 that it says all things work together for good to them that love God. All things, and that includes suffering. The second application, very briefly, suffering for the sake of Christ is not a curse, but a blessing. If we respond as Paul does, it draws us closer to God, closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It comes with the, the promise of divine comfort. And thirdly, Suffering should be viewed through the lens of the personal work of our Lord Jesus Christ. How he suffered. How he suffered. Perhaps we've been Christians many years and we've lost the sense of the agonies that he went through. I'm not just thinking of the cross. How grieved he was in his heart as he walked among sinners and heard their conversation. As he saw their, uh, their ungodliness, their false religion. Of course, Mark 10.45 tells us, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many.
And being a Christian makes a massive difference to our perspective on suffering. The world abhors the thought of suffering. We, we do in our flesh, don't we? We don't want to suffer. We don't go looking for it. We don't deliberately put our hand in the fire and say, there we are, I'm going to get a blessing now. That would be nonsense. But God uses suffering to teach us how evil sin is, how devastating its consequences are. He used suffering uh, of the Lord Jesus to forgive our sins. And he continues to employ suffering to draw us closer to him and to one another. Suffering is not something we ought to seek. I think there are sometimes Christians like that. I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm going to suffer. And then I can make a name for myself. No, no, no. It's something that we should accept knowing it comes from the Lord, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Paul in Philippians 3 verse 8, he discovered this, hadn't he? He's not just writing here, you know, like some, uh, some do. I'll give you a lesson now. Oh, he knew all about this. I count all things lost, he says, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. A last word. Is there someone here this morning and you, you don't believe? Perhaps you have to come. It's family. You know, family drag you. You don't want to be here. Or perhaps there's an older person here and you think it's the right thing to do to go to church. But you, you don't know Christ. Well, let me tell you this. If you think you can avoid suffering by avoiding Christ, you'll have a, a rude awakening. But if you come to Christ and you belong to him and all your sins are forgiven and you're his disciple, yes, you will go through suffering. But you will know the God of all comfort. What you give up will be far outweighed by what you gain. Come to Christ. I'm being honest with you. It's not an easy life. It's uh, challenging. We live in a world which hates us. But he's worth it. And he is the God of all comfort.